We are going through the Bhagavad Gita close to the speed of light. <laughs> and uh, so in the last days, we have completed six chapters by the time we can take as many breaths within. And uh, it's always a joy to study a Bhagavad, the Bhagavad Gita, even if it is to speed read and speed study. So this is what it is. It's all about speed study. So then uh, the idea is, I mean, the what is the outcome of it? It can take two, two tracks, the outcome, two possible outcomes. One outcome, you can impress your friends and family by rattling off the main themes of each chapter. How cool is that? You can say, been there, done that, I have done this. I know that this is there in chapter 7, which is very nice. Or this could serve as an appetizer to come back for the main dish. Yeah. Which happens when? Every Monday night. <laughs> Where we are taking a kind of a, what should I say? It's like uh, the difference between fast food, which is these next, uh, you know, this uh, last four days, last three days, is like fast food versus uh, the slow food, macrobiotic cooking. There. And so there, last month we were in the second chapter, the month before we were in the second <laughs> chapter, the month previous to that we were in the second chapter. And uh, we will continue to be in the second chapter the next month also, I can say with certainty. So hopefully this will lead to that. 
or if people are already studying that then they will have an idea of okay it you know maybe they were thinking okay this is too slow for me and so once they have the whole idea of it it is it will fill the heart with uh, more of an encouragement to uh, understand the depth of this uh, beautiful beautiful text uh, a text that is entirely geared for the liberation of the human being liberation from what one might ask liberation from a sense of bondage a notion of bondage and that notion of bondage starts with the body i don't like how i look it's a notion yeah i don't like my face somebody said and i don't like my legs i don't like my hands i don't like my head i don't like my hair that that is an issue if you have hair <laughs> you don't have hair you don't have to worry about that one less thing to worry about and so all these things and then what is the response of the people the response of the people is that for every notion connected to the body connected to this thing there is a lotion and a potion to take care of these notions that's what it is and you find find these lotions and potions in a place called body shop yeah <laughs> a place where you shop for the body it's what it is all different colors i was minding my own you, you know you people might think how does a swami know all this <laughs> curiosity and that's a valid question i was minding my business i was actually in the what is that in uh, charlotte airport one time and i was going to from one gate to another it was a it was a place where i was changing the plane going from one gate to another and then suddenly some confetti dropped on my head <laughs> and some whistles and and that karaoke effect yeah welcome what about and there was this new body shop there and then you said they said you are the 10000 one that has passed through this so please come inside i said why <laughs> you know we have a coupon for you you must take it even if you don't want to come in and so that's when i saw okay it said body shop and uh, this this is what it is and body shop thrives on these kinds of notions i don't like my nose i don't like my toes i don't like this i don't like that this has to be shining that has to be something or the other something needs to be fixed all the time and and that too quickly we are in a world of instant gratification everything has to happen fast 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 food is fast fixes are fast and therefore the gita is also fast <laughs> instant gitaification not gratification so therefore it's uh, a like a breath of fresh air it's like a relief to encounter a body of knowledge 700 plus verses 18 chapters long that says 
actually you are okay as you are with the crooked nose and toes and everything whatever there is that you are okay no but i don't like my nose how can i be okay <laughs> you are okay because you are not your nose <laughs> who knows that is <laughs> the one who knows this about the nose is what is called a gnani a person of wisdom a sage of self knowledge this is the, the it's such a refreshing teaching there's nothing i have to fix there's nothing i have to do there's nothing to be uh, you know to be uh, broken down to be re reformulated nothing to be operated upon i whether it whether it has to do with the body or whether it has to do with the people around me nobody needs to be fixed oh now up till now i was kind of going along with you but as soon as you said nobody needs to be fixed i i have to differ i have to beg to differ what do you mean nobody needs to be fixed everybody needs to be fixed in fact everybody around me is an idiot and, and they all need fixing <laughs> <laughs> and people try if it's not for want of trying the trial begins with the significant other we try to fix the significant other how has that gone for you you know please come and yeah. please come and let me know after class please come and tell me how that has proceeded for you there was a couple that came to me they said oh we have come to take your blessings this is our 50th wedding anniversary i said this is wonderful this is very nice how have you remained together for so long i said what is the secret they said well you know we understood just recently <laughs> that we can't change one another <laughs> couple of months back we have understood this this is what maybe it was a traditional indian couple so they had gone through an arranged marriage sight unseen or they had seen they had, had one meeting along with a whole village there present you know full of busy bodies <laughs> not even a moment of privacy <laughs> so then i asked them i said you know when you saw each other what did you think what made you say yes to each other and so she said she spoke first she said oh he looked kind of lost and he needed help i thought and i thought oh i thought i could help him i said oh that's interesting and then i asked him what did you think and he said the same thing <laughs> she looks so lonely and and sad and alone and i thought i can just help her out and i said were your did your first impressions of each other bear out and they both spoke at the same time they said not at all he is so domineering she is so dominating she doesn't need my help at all and he doesn't need help at all what it is so 
Nobody you can fix. The child also, children also, you think you are fixing. God allows you to think that. That's all. <laughs> For a little while. Until it becomes obvious that, uh, that uh, there is no fixing happening. Then you think about the world at large. I mean, the people are also included in the world, but then uh, the world consists of animate and inanimate objects. So when I say world at last, at large, we are talking of inanimate objects. That also you cannot fix. Non-moving objects, maybe animate, but non-moving like trees, etc. You can't fix. They did an experiment to make a creeper that grows to grow to creep the other way. It refused. It has intelligence. It has a plan. And at night, they would, you know, at, uh, during the day, they would turn it this way and give it some uh, incentive. They would give nice things for those, uh, the leaves to hook on to. And they would guide it and say, go this way. The creeper knew better. And at night, all the work would be undone. And even if they took a time-lapse photo, I mean, unless they took a time-lapse photo, photograph or a series of uh, photos, they would not know the moment when it happened. Slowly, as though accidentally, as though a little gust of wind has come and unhooked it from those, uh, those little strings that were given for it to grow a certain way, it, it just said, I'm not following your plan. I have my own plan. Why, why do you want to go this way? Because it, the sunlight comes here, the first sunlight comes here, and that is what this is where this is how I grow. I know what is good for me. Even a creeper, you cannot change. You think you are strong, you think you are big. Neither can you change the course of the sun and the moon, nor the earth, nor the tides. Nothing. It's all how it is. It is all how it is. And the Bhagavad Gita teaches us that this is how it is. Part A. And part B, how to make peace with what it is. What is. No, but why do I want to make peace? Oh, we don't make peace. <laughs> no problem. No, but I don't like conflict. Okay, make peace. <laughs> what option do we have? Do we want to not make peace and keep fighting things all the time? Keep fighting shadows, ghosts, like that fictional warrior, medieval fictional warrior, Spanish one. What was his oh, name? Don Quixote. Ah, Don Quixote. He was fighting shadows. You can do that. But at some point, even the most confrontational person in the world wants peace of mind, wants to put the cudgels down, wants to be happy with what there is, wants to not Keep on engaging because the more you engage, 
the more involvement there is, the more pain there is, the more sorrow there is, you come up empty, you are exhausted, you are in sorrow, you are in pain, you are dissatisfied, you are disgruntled, you are discombobulated. And what you want to be is the opposite. Everybody wants to be compassionate. Everybody wants to be accommodative, non-judgmental, non-demanding, peaceful, accepting person. Even the most confrontational person, secretly, even though they are not able to admit it, wants this. And so the Bhagavad Gita talks about the nature of reality. In other words, what is. And that, my friends, comprises the subject matter of chapters 7 to 12. 1 to 6, as we saw, is all up close and personal. It's all about you. How to lead the life. What to do. What is my real nature? How is it that I'm not just the sum total of the body-mind-sense complex? I'm something more than that. And what is what I am is not subject to destruction, is not subject to any kind of decimation. And how to understand this knowledge? What kind of a lifestyle can I lead to understand this knowledge? It's all about you. As is embodied in the famous Vedic sentence, Tat Tvam Asi. Tvam means you. So chapters 1 to 6 delineate and back, unfold the meaning, the real meaning of the word you. Not the you as the ahankara, the ego. The ego you is different. That's the one that gets hurt at the drop of a hat. Even if the hat doesn't drop, it gets hurt. <laughs> That's the one that gets upset. That's the one that wants to take the ball and go home. That's the one that is not at peace. That's the one. That's what is called ahankara ego. Then the mind is disturbed, the emotions are disturbed. Again, that's not you. The body is not you. Or maybe I'm all these things put together. Who is putting things together? <laughs> Who is the one putting things together? No, maybe it has, it's just we are, somebody said this, we are a bunch of molecules hanging out in space. That is Google Hangout, okay? <laughs> is that this? I have no problem saying that, we, you know, the, the body-mind-sense complex is a bunch of molecules put together. But I want to ask the question, who is putting this together? No, randomly it has come together. 
randomly some bunch of cells has become the kidneys. Randomly, it has become the brain. Supposing there is some kind of a mistake, the kidney cells become brain, means brain will be draining all the time. It will be leaking. But that doesn't happen. Even with regard to the body-mind-sense complex, there is a pervasive intelligence. It is undeniable, it is palpable, it is here. Who made this body? You cannot say the mother made this body. She just incubated it. You can't ask the mother, did you make my kidneys? Did you make, did you know how to make kidneys? Do you know how to make the brain? What will she say? I wish I knew how to make the brain so that you would not ask such silly questions. <laughs> I wish I knew that. I would have given you a better brain. Six kidney beans, rajma, I can make. I don't know how to make kidneys. Somehow all she does is hold that space in the womb and miraculously the child develops. Not only the body, the mind, the senses develop, but then when the child is born, there seems to be something else there. There is a presence, an undeniable presence, and a self-revelatory presence. Are you here? If I ask the question, what will you say? Yes. Ah, see, people have been studying Vedanta. <laughs> That's why the answer comes quickly. Yes, I am. It's undeniable. This is what we say, self-revealing self. And that self-revealing self alone is. And that self-revealing self alone is the is that presence. And what kind of a presence is it? Is it a sentient presence? Or is it an insentient presence? Thank God. <laughs> Here the answer came after a little gap. <laughs> People were wondering, is it a trick question? <laughs> You don't have to establish this sentience. You are there. Because whenever you say, I am, you are also saying, I know. I know I am. That is what it is. I know I am. And how long does this amness last? <laughs> All the time. Are you here now? How about now? <laughs> now? Yes. Now? Yes. yes. Even if somebody says no, just to go rogue, that means they're advertising their own presence. It's like a child hiding behind the door and saying, I'm not here. <laughs> so the eye doesn't come to an end. The I is present. It is sentient. It is self-revealing. And this is important because every other thing in the universe 
is non-self-revealing. Only the I is self-revealing. No other thing in the universe. Thank God. Because the microphone, if it were self-revealing, it would say, shut up, you keep talking. I also have a few things to say. I don't want to just amplify your words. I have a few things to say. I have repeated enough Vedanta. Now it's my turn. And you take a spoonful of food and the spoon gets hungry because it's sentient. Gobble, gobble, you will not get any food. It doesn't happen. There is a line between sentient and insentient and everything that you see Everything that you can objectify is insentient. And that which is insentient, not I. I, sentient. But what about other people? They are sentient. Yes. But I can objectify you. I see the Swami sitting here. I'm objectifying you. I'm making you into an object. And I say, I see you. You see my body. No, but I know what you're thinking. Some people can read minds. I don't know why. No, but our own thoughts are so boring. And imagine trying to read other people's thoughts. Colossal waste of time. Total waste of time. And so therefore, if you can read my mind, maybe you know what I'm thinking. Or what I'm going to say next, you objectify my mind, you objectify my body, you objectify my emotions, because, but you cannot objectify me because the I in you is the same as the I in me, in he, in she, in, in everything. So this, the one, the I that is sentient, and that which is the which is intelligent, which is conscious, which is knowledgeable, at the very least, it knows its own existence. That in the Veda, in the Upanishads, is equated to the presence. That intelligence, that knowledge, which we call Ishvara, God, that consciousness. That awareness, that awareful presence, which is the cause of the universe. This is the connection. And the cause of the universe is understood by the short term tattu. Simply that. Why is the cause of the universe God called as that? Because it is seen to be far away. Things that are close to me, I say, this microphone. Whereas that door, that room, that car, which is away from, from me. Therefore, Brahman, Ishvara, Bhagavan, God, however you want, whatever word you want to use. Locally not available is seen to be far away. And what we don't understand is that that presence which I'm trying to make into an object is myself alone. 
not self, not the one that is that is identified with this body or the mind or the senses or the ego, but that presence, because of which the body is, because of which that which animates the body, that which animates the mind, that which animates the senses without becoming any one thing, like even the presence of the gold animates the ornaments with its presence, with its shine, without becoming the bangle, the nose ring. Bangle is gold. Gold is not bangle. Nose ring is gold. Gold is not nose ring. Chain is gold. Gold is not chain. But our everyday parlance, we reproduce the self-ignorance by saying golden chain. This is wrong. Because when I say golden chain, what is the adjective? Golden. And what is the substantive? Chain. Vedanta does a headstand on this. Because here in our example, what is substantive? Station of gold. But from the standpoint of chain, gold is intrinsic to its But no chain, you cannot say no gold. <laughs> no chain, yes gold. We should say chainy gold, not golden chain. <laughs> and so that which is the truth, the cause of the universe, is present in all things, animates everything, just like the gold which animates the world of ornaments, or even like the clay, which animates the world of uh, the earthenware. Every pot is clay, but clay is not pot. Clay can be in the form of a figurine. Clay can remain as a lump on the roadside. Clay can be a lid. Clay can be another pot. It can be in many forms. And so, the understanding of this cause of the universe becomes a very important, a very salient task, which is defined by the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads as the sole purpose of human existence. But isn't that carrying too far? <laughs> Sole purpose of human existence? Pun intended. S-O-L-E-S-O-U-L. <laughs> but what about so many other things I want to do? Everything you want to do is fine in its own realm. But it is not going to get you to that place of self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction, that knowing this presence as yourself is going to do. 
This is what it is. The frantic activity which characterizes the contemporary world and in fact even the ancient world as we find out is was not a, a whole lot better. We are keep, people keeping on doing meaningless things. This is what we know. Running, running, running. Nobody has time, nobody has time, nobody has time. Always in traffic, barring today. Today everybody was lucky. <laughs> See how when there is an interest to study the Gita, then Lord Ganesha clears the way. All the obstacles are gone. And so, like this, the uh, that activity, all these activities, the sum total of them, when we analyze them honestly with intellectual honesty, is to be able to change something. That's what the activity is about. Some things can be changed, no problem. But even if you change them, it's not going to help you. Why? Because it's going to be just a moment, one more moment away from the new complaint about that particular thing, about that particular person. And even if the significant other says, I have done so much for you, I have undergone a transformation, I have changed all these things for you. The other person will say, but what about, yeah, but what about all this? <laughs> you haven't done anything. <laughs> so therefore, all these activities, they, they have a basis, yes. They help to pass the time for sure. And also they help with self-growth as we have been seeing in the previous chapters. They help with the self-growth. But they are not going to take you to a place of fulfillment because the fulfillment that you seek is a fulfillment that is already gained. But as though eclipsed by a shadow of what we call self-ignorance, not knowing that I am the possessor of this fulfillment. It's like a person sitting on a treasure chest full of gold and all kinds of things, diamonds, golds, everything. Bitcoin, let's add that also. <laughs> bit by bit we modernize. The person is sitting on the chest and then lamenting and having a begging bowl. Actually, begging for a bowl first. Please give me a bowl to beg. I don't have a, even a bowl. What will you tell this person? What will you tell this person? Really, honestly, what is there to tell this person? Please sit and meditate. Close your eyes. <laughs> Please run around in circles. We have to say, no. Look, look, you're sitting on a treasure chest. That person has to be enlightened about their possession, that which they already possess, but they do not yet appear to know for whatever reason. This knowledge is like that. 
This is what the knowledge is. The seeker is the sort and what I want to be happens to be what I already am. So in the early stages of the study, there is a great relief. Ah, thank God. But then I miss the activity. All the time sit and study. Oh, what? this is so boring. I miss all that. I miss the drama. Right now, there is only Rama. I want to add a D in front of it. Then there will be some drama. I miss the drama. I miss the highs and the lows. And that is because this is not understood properly. That eclipse is so thick. It's like living under a teacup. It's like living permanently in England, okay? Always cloudy, <laughs> always raining. And therefore, it's not enough to know I am not just this body-mind-sense complex. That is what gives the initial relief. There is a little further, a little more further to go. And in the chapter 7 to 12, that is where the Bhagavad Gita, she takes us. She takes us to see the identity, to see the identity of this jaded, faded jiva individual. That this identity is not just the sum total of the body, the mind, the senses, your possessions, your people, your peeps, as they say. <laughs> and your accomplishments, achievements, your dreams, your desires, your ambitions, your goals, all that has its place, nothing wrong. But they don't define who you are. All that is okay. You get to keep all that. You don't have to give that up. You get to keep that. But you want more. And what that more is, 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 the, is the cry of the heart to be the most important thing in the whole world. This desire starts at age two. The child says, oh, who, who else is there? It's only me. Listen to me. Think of me. Pay attention to me. Even at 92, this child doesn't go away. It's all about me, 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 me. Before the Sanskrit word for analysis, any kind of inquiry is me, mamsa, because it's all about me. <laughs> and what this me is, uh, is, what is, uh, is what is talked about. Here, there's a chair for you. Come. Come here. And uh, so this is all it is about. It's all about me, 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 me. What about me? Who is this me? What do you want to be? I want to be the most important person. It's not enough to be second. Nobody says, <laughs> I'm happy being second. Second hand, nobody wants. First hand, I want to be the most. I want to be the top most. 
oh you got you got a promotion uh, only deputy manager <laughs> but then the above me there is a man ager meaning the person is giving me gray hairs okay and and then okay now you are the manager yeah but then there is the ceo hi <laughs> ayo <laughs> Then what? Then there is something else. Then okay, you are the CEO. This is wonderful. There is no, no, no more to go. Yeah, but I want to grab another company. <laughs> I want to. I want to buy that company. Never ending. Chapter seven to twelve say that there is an end to this. There is an end to this. It's not. yet one it this end is not gained by yet one more pursuit yet one more activity yet one more thing to amass to collect this is gained how to become not top dog but top god okay <laughs> how to do that you already are there you have to see your self differently first you have to understand what is this being called god and that itself is a, a a very big task it's called tat pada vichara an inquiry into the word tat a big task it need not be a big task but most everyone in this universe has had some concept of god or the other pushed down the throat <laughs> the hindu child is told you have to do this why because my mother did it <laughs> my father did it your grandmother did it your great grandfather did it your great grandmother did it and as long as we you know we have had memory this is how we have followed this this is what you do and some of the things that are done or asked to do is silly and the reason is given god will get angry <laughs> and then the child asks what kind of a god is it that gets angry cut <laughs> up don't ask questions <laughs> keep quiet just follow whatever is there do it and like this we have very funny rituals some of them are very very funny there is some place where i believe that for a wedding to take place wedding ceremony you have to go outside and get a hapless little cat or kitten and then bring it into the wedding hall and overturn a wicker basket on it and the poor thing will be making all kinds of noises the whole time wow all these voices we can make and the wedding has to take place just like that until the poor thing is released after two hours makes no sense why and then somebody said perhaps the you know when the ritual was going on the stray cat wandered in and they did not you know and they tried to chase it away it would not go because it wanted the ghee of the yagya you know it was attracted to that 
Whenever we do yagya in Eugene, these cats come to <laughs> sip the ghee. And, and so maybe that's what it is. That's what happened. Yagya means fire rituals. You feed the fire with, uh, with this. Uh, what is the translation for ghee? Clarify. Nobody says clarify. I think everybody knows ghee. Yeah, yeah. clarified butter. Ghee. So then, uh, so people surmised that the origin of this ritual was because they didn't want to disturb the, the ritual going on. And they found a flower basket, emptied the flowers, and then just, <laughs> what should we say, you know, that stunned the cat by uh, sequestering it in a place, and then they released it. But now what has happened? Without a cat, the wedding cannot take place. <laughs> So like this, so many things. God will get angry if there is no cat in the wedding. <laughs> like this, there are so many things. <laughs> and so the concept of God that everybody has is at best odd. That's how we can describe it. Some people say God exists. It is a belief because nobody has seen it. <laughs> That is a belief. And some people say, oh, I don't believe in God. That is also a belief. God is in heaven. That's a belief. We also have this. God. We, in fact, we have many kinds of heaven. God in the, is in a place called Vaikuntha. The Vaishnavites say. And the Shaivites say, shut up. <laughs> God is in my heaven. called. Kailash. Kailash. And then there's, you know, there are seven other kinds of realms of existence. Heaven-like existence so many things, so many things like this. This is English. These are, they all have a place there. And then they say God is omniscient. Who are you? The one ha that has trouble spelling omniscience. <laughs> Always I before C. E, except after C. Okay, now, how are we going to do this? <laughs> this is a problem. And so, this has to be properly understood. The God of the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita is not a matter for belief. It is a matter for understanding. It is something to be recognized as that sentient, sentience, that existence, which we have understood as oneself, as the truth of that alone. It is the source of that existence alone, which we call Ishvara. Nameless, formless, and sometimes we get this. Many religions say, Bhagavan is nameless and formless. But the same religions will insist that it's a he. <laughs> Not a she, he. It has to be he. 
How can the formless one have gender? He is in heaven. How can the formless one have uh, need a space to sit? That which we call Ishvara can be beyond logic, but it cannot be against logic. And so therefore, this is something to understand. This is not a matter of belief. It's something to see that all that is here is what we call God. My teacher would put it very nicely. He would say, we don't say there is one God. We don't say there are many gods. We say that there is only God. All that is here is God. Anything that is here is God. What is this? What, what is the name? We would say it's an incarnation. That's what it is. In front of the word carnation, you put an in, and then you have the sum total of the the uh, the message from chapters seven to twelve. Whatever you see, every carnation is an incarnation. Every abomination is an incarnation. <laughs> Everything has a purpose. Even a person who, who uh, is in the habit of being a repeat offender has a purpose in life. Of course, they are far away from the purpose. Because they have used, or rather I should say, abused their free will to be a nocturnal person <laughs> doing nefarious things in the dark of the night. But even that, there is a purpose. Because why did they steal only from you? Whereas <laughs> the person next to you was bad. Their purse was intact. The other person's wallet on the other side of you was intact. Only why your wallet was gone? Why is your wallet empty or not even there? <laughs> this is how we say it, we are not talking of an individual. We are talking of a knowledge that, and an existence that is spread out as vast and big as the universe is. Anything that exists has the presence of Bhagavan, Ishvara. All that is here is God. And understanding this is very, very important. First, understanding this is an important prerequisite to the knowledge that I too am non-separate from this Ishvara. We can't bypass the steps. We cannot say, I don't want to deal with everything else. Can I just get to the good part? I am one with, I am God. Listen to me. I don't want to think about, oh, the whole spread of everything and the presence. And I don't want to think about the universe. 
I only want to think of me. You can't. Because one is living. This jaded, faded individual, the hapless, hopeless fellow, is living in a manifest universe. So the only way to understand the nameless, formless Ishvara God is through the many names and forms. Maya tatamidam sarvam jagadavyakta murtina matsthani sarva bhutani najaham teshu vasthitaha naja matsthani bhutani pasyame yoga maishwaram bhuta bhrinnaca bhutasthaha mamatma bhuta bhavanaha Ninth chapter. What happened to seven and eight? That's what we've been talking about. Don't worry, you haven't missed anything. Nine chapter. Maya tatam idam sarva. From the root verb tan to spread out. Idam sarvam. All this that you see. As far as the eye can see, as far as the mind can infer, this whole universe, including the planets that are yet to be named, including the planets and heavenly bodies, celestial bodies that are yet to be discovered, including species that are yet to come forth. Everything that is here, all that is here, is, is myself alone. The whole universe is pervaded by me. Who is this me? Satchidananda. That which exists, that which is non-separate from that knowledge of the existence, that all-knowing, and that which never comes to an end, that which has no birth, no death, which never comes to an end. That is what is Satchidananda. So by me, this all-pervasive, all-knowledge, never-ending presence, this entire world of names and forms is, is pervaded. Idam sarvam jagat maya tatam. Who is this me? Avyakta murtina. I'm that formless being, nameless, formless being, a being no doubt. A being that is limitless, that has so much, that is everything, without being any one thing. Matsthani Sarva Bhuta. You can say that the origin of everything is in me alone. Without me, there would be no Jagat. Me, Satchidananda, that awareness, that consciousness, which is spread in the form of knowledge. Knowledge means the existence and the knowledge can never be divorced from one another. And again, if we say, what is this? This is a flower. What is this carnation? It is eating. Why does it have petals like this? How does it, is it like this? For all that, there will be some answers for all of this. Because it needs to, why are the petals serrated? Because so that it won't be destroyed when the wind comes. It's an intelligence. There is knowledge. Why is it this color? Well, why, why does it come in these colors? To attract the bees. 
for pollination, for reproduction. It is making sure that it will be around to show everyone it is an incarnation. <laughs> it's making sure of uh, the, con the continuity of its existence. And so like this, the, there is, it's all knowledge. Flower is, when we say flower knowledge is. Body knowledge is, mind knowledge is, it's all knowledge. And this knowledge is pervade, pervaded in the form of the universe. All knowledge, an existence that is all knowledge that never comes to an end, plus name and form. It's like an eclair. First you have this pastry, it is very bland, nothing there. And that sweet filling, ah, that's what makes it worth eating. Vanilla, chocolate, something or the other, it is filled in. We also have these kinds of sweets. We have a casing that is very boring, made of made of rice flour and water, a paste that is uh, uh, what is that called? That is uh, spread out a little with the hands or with a rolling pin. Or you can, you know, this is for the gluten-free people. <laughs> so you can be either a gluten-free or a gluten-free. Okay. <laughs> So then for the gluten freaks, what? Then you can take a, a white flour or you know some wheat flour. That same thing you can do. You can roll it out and that doesn't have any taste. Then you make an elaborate filling. You make it out of some lentils or you make it out of coconut and jaggery with, with uh, you know, infused with cardamom and saffron desiccated coconut. Very nice. A nice ball of calories. <laughs> Oozing with ghee. And then you take this ball. The ball is too sweet to eat by itself. You take this ball and in this aforementioned useless casing, you put that in and you kind of pinch it all out. You pinch the extra out and seal it. And then this part is not for the faint of heart. You fry, you deep fry it. There's an alternative. Or you steam it, and everybody's going half. You steam it. You steam it or you deep fry it. Two choices are there. All right. And then what? Then you eat it. Yeah. And, and it is called modak. Modaka means that which makes you happy, the agent of happiness. <laughs> Haka. Yeah. And Haka is the agent suffix. Mud, to rejoice, to, and then modaka. That which is an agent of happiness. This is what Ganesha holds in the hand. If you look at the hand, he's holding that. 
But what is it that is the agent of happiness? Is it the casing or the filling? <laughs> no, it is the filling. It's the filling. But the lesson, even, even our sweets are Vedantic. Yeah. <laughs> what a culture. Amazing. Even our sweets are philosophical and they are, you know, they 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 encourage self-inquiry. So this is how it is. So the, the, the filling is what is the agent of happiness. The casing can, in fact, as children, we, when nobody was looking, when the mother was not looking, we used to quickly take it out and eat what was inside and throw away the, the skin. The mother would say, what are you doing? I saw that. Eat that one also now. And what these sweets are teaching us that the filling can only be enjoyed along with the casing. So too in the universe, Ishvara is recognized, owned up, assimilated, understood along with the name and the form. Beautiful. What a beautiful thing. And if you don't know what Modak is, you can just take eclair. Same thing. It's the filling. It's the filling that is delicious. It's the filling that is sweet. It's the filling that is uh, <coughs> that is filling. <laughs> In fact, the filling, there is a name for it. It is called Purna. Which is the word of the Upanishad. Which is our closing prayer. Om Purnamadav Purnamidas. That is wholeness. But wholeness is called Purna. And so, the Lord Krishna tells Arjuna, this whole thing is pervaded by me. Me means not this flute playing, you know, naughty Krishna. No. Me, as in that conscious existence, that sentient existence, which never, ever, ever comes to an end. That presence is spread as the whole world. And you can say, without that, nothing exists. But then we cannot leave it at this. Because if we leave it at this, you know what happens? Is that there is, a, there is an incompleteness. Because then our minds can make a mistake. There can be an error. Then we say there are two things. Because this uh, dovetails very nicely with the spiritual romantic image we have of the Lord holding everything. <laughs> everything originates in me. Yes, so there is an originator and then things that take refuge. So we are all refugees. And then all the things in the universe are refugees. And then the Lord is the source of refuge. Then what do we have? Duality. What is Vedanta about? Non-duality. If it is non-duality, where is the non? Then the non has to be brought in. So therefore, in the very next verse, in the very next line, Lord Krishna removes, negates what he says. First he says, Maya tatam idam sarvam. And then he says, Matsthani sarva bhutani. In me alone everything is. Everything exists. 
And then he says, Najamatsthani Bhutani. Who said anything exists in me? <laughs> Nothing exists in me. Vashyame Yoga Maishwaram. Vashya, look, 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 see. Yoga Maishwaram. Look at this magic. I'm a magician. Look at this magic. Nothing is without me, but I am not any one of them. I'm not any one thing. I'm not any one of them, but nothing can exist without me. Bhuta Brit, Naja Bhuta Bhuta Brit means I'm as though that which lends its being to everything, but I'm not inside everything. No. There is no in, there is no out. It's all me. It's all me, 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 me. Mamatma Bhuta Bhavana. I am that presence in every being. And so Vedanta, especially when we understand Ishvara, has to be taken with these kinds of paradoxes. And these paradoxes are so-called paradoxes. They do not deny the knowledge and they do not confuse, except if you read it by yourself. <laughs> then they will confuse. Especially the translations are hilarious. <laughs> they are in me, but I'm not in any one of them. Who said they are in me? Next slide. <laughs> we have some very awkward and some hilarious situations when we just read the translation. Thanks to Max Mueller and other scholars. <laughs> this is not about scholarship. This is not about some kind of a, a pedantic pursuit. This is about understanding who one is. That's what it is. And so before seeing the equation to Ishvara, God, Bhagavan, one has to know what this Ishvara is. And so the 7th, 8th and the ninth chapters talk about that presence which is invested or which has, which is equipped with all knowledge. So all that there is, in a way, we can say there are two kinds of knowledges. One is that intrinsic all knowledge, the one when you say, I don't know Greek language, okay? That means what are you saying? I know that I do not know Greek. So that I know that never becomes I don't know. That is one level of knowing. That is what we call intrinsic, the knowledge that is intrinsic. Then there is the knowledge of, which is in the form of know-how. How does the ocean flow? How does the river flow? How does the flower grow? How does the wind blow? This is specific particular knowledge. These two are there. The knowledge of the particular and the knowledge that is in general. Sarvajna. Knowledge in general, all knowing. Sarva Vitu, the one who knows everything, each and everything in particular. 
And so the knowledge of the particular is the dividing factor, so to speak, between the helpless, hapless, hopeless individual and Ishvara. Because the individual doesn't have the knowledge of, in, of the particular. How does gravity work? Even if you are Einstein or Newton, there are many unknown things about gravity still. How, why is it like this? And why is it not like this? Nobody will be able to tell. Why is this flower have these kinds of petals, but the other one has those kinds of petals? Every knowledge that is held in our heads is up to one more question. At some point, you have to shrug the shoulders, even if you are a, even if you are a great scholar, and say, "I do not know." This is the so-called dividing factor between Ishvara and Jiva, between the individual and what we call Bhagavan God. But it is. It is not ultimately the dividing factor. It is a so-called and as-though dividing factor. Because on the level of that intrinsic knowledge, you can say, you are also Sarvanya, all-knowing. Because what you know, how can I be all-knowing? If you ask, what is the definition of all? Can you agree that the definition of all are things you know plus the things you do not know? Yes. Do you know all the things you know? Do you know that there are many things you do not know? Yes. Therefore, you are all all knowing. <laughs> Simple. That is the level at which the equation is made. But what about the, the, how to create a baby, how to create the kidneys, how to make the brain, how to do this, how to do that. That is the other kind of knowledge. The creative force, maya shakti, the much misunderstood, the much maligned over maya shakti. Maya shakti. Daivi hesha gunamayi. My maya, my knowledge in the form of manifesting, sustaining, taking back this whole universe of names and forms is unparalleled, O Arjuna. And she, this maya shakti, who belongs to me, which is an as-though power, not real, because there's only one thing, that is Ishvara, and that Ishvara includes this as-though power called Maya, and this Maya Shakti, which is an as-though power, is, is, uh, is, uh, is for me. A, a manifestation of all the knowledge of the particular things, how the grass grows, how the wind blows, This is all myself alone. This maya, guratyaya. Guratyaya maya means difficult to cross. Why? We, in trying to cross her, we become cross. That's why. <laughs> That's why she's difficult to cross. 
because each and everything is taken seriously each and everything is taken to be real so everything is maya everything is this whole manifest universe maya here maya means that creative force which is all knowledge but when i go to that creative force and when i try to <laughs> disturb or contact that creative force i come up with certain limitations big time limitations i come up with all kinds of limitations i'm i'm stymied i am blocked why not fair but that same maya which is all knowledge for ishvara becomes the eclipse of self ignorance for the individual jiva as though and that's what has to be crossed when you say cross maya maya is nothing for the individual except self ignorance and so that self ignorance has to be crossed how manmana bhavamad bhaktah very beautiful manmana bhava mad bhakto bhava who is wielding this power as a sword on my head <laughs> because from the standpoint of the individual one feels small one feels i am because i'm not all i'm small i'm because how can i be the cause i am odd definitely not god <laughs> this is the as though distinction and from this standpoint that which is god that which is ishvara becomes a place of devotion an altar of surrender no matter what by what name or what form you want to invoke this god there's only one god anyway which i have never understood there is only one god yes of course therefore you cannot worship other gods if there is only one god how can i worship other gods <laughs> it's a physical impossibility because whatever i worship is god so that devotion is cultivated because from the standpoint of this one who is endowed with this body mind sense complex where that difference is painfully felt and endured every day i need a place to take my grievances the significant other will not do why because the significant other has his or her own grievances and if you keep complaining to the significant other the word significant will soon go away yeah 
that person will become other very quickly. Oh, but friends are there. Friends are there just a little bit, yeah. To start telling them all how painful your life is. They will say, you know what, I, I have to go somewhere. I have something to do. I just came to meet you for coffee. Not to cry in the cup. I have my own problems. So that's why we have therapy. You can go to the therapist. It helps. It works for some time until it doesn't. Even the world's best marriage counselor, we may be having marital problems themselves. <laughs> and they may say, today I'm late. What? Don't you know it's my core issue? Everybody was late my whole life. How dare you be late? <laughs> because there are things out of my control. That's what the therapist will say. I had to sign the divorce papers today. That's why I'm late. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. That's what the therapist will say. <laughs> Three years have worked with you and you're still not understanding this. <laughs> they may not say that, but they can think that. <laughs> they will definitely be thinking that. So therefore, an altar of surrender is very, very, very badly needed. And that's what we call Bhagavan. Why is it called the altar? Because that has the power to alter you. That's why it's called altar. Spelled differently, but who is counting? Who is looking? It's an altar of surrender. Because there, there is a safe place where one can bring one's helplessness and the sheer inability to transform the situations, people, things in the world that one, one is really dying to get their fingers around. One is helpless. So that which we call Ishvara is in the form of various orders. The physiological order. Wherever there are eyes, they see. Supposing somebody has glaucoma, that disorder is included in the order. It's an order that transcends the good, the bad, that which is everything. Which includes everything. But which is beyond everything. Anatomical order, physiological order, karmic order, is an order of karma. You ask anybody who is married, how did you choose this person? They'll, they'll heave a big sigh. It's a long story. I, do, I myself don't know how I ended up marrying this person. You ask anything, how did you live in this city? Oh, that's an interesting story. I was not supposed to live here at all. But then I went somewhere else. I asked somebody, why did you study this particular subject? They said, oh, I, it was a very strange story. What happened? <laughs> well, I, I wanted to do a PhD in history. I was accepted by this university. 
and I got a scholarship also. This person told me. And I went over there. And there they said, sorry, we have made a mistake. We don't have a history department that has PhDs. You have two choices. You can go back to your country after, after saving a lot to, you know, to, to come here. You can go back to, the, to your country or you can study something else. What do you feel like? And the person said, no, but I really want to do history. How come they accepted my statement of purpose? How come they accepted? Yeah, we did that, but we, we didn't know. We thought you were applying for a master's program. And that's how the person ended up studying physics. Completely different. <laughs> These are not accidents. These are incidents. There is a very strange but a purposeful serendipity. That is a karmic order. Why are you the middle child? Karmic order. Neither here nor there. Neither the youngest nor the oldest. Nor the only girl. Nor the only boy. Karmic order. Why, else, why do some people get away with any everything? And why do I get blamed even if I don't do something? Karma. <laughs> How come some people get their way all the time and I don't get my way anytime? Karma. These are all unacceptable. They all come under a huge list of non-acceptable things. You can rail, you can rant, you can scream, you can cry. Or you can just put your head on the altar <laughs> and say, do something. I'm confronting something that is so vast, so huge, seems purposeless, must have a purpose. Show me, tell me, guide me. That is the first step. Be the one. Whose, whose mind is myself alone. It's not that God is an object of thought. Think of God. It's a tall order. What do you mean think of God? <laughs> no name, no form. How can you think of that which has no name, no form? But here it doesn't mean think of God. Be the one for, who, who, for whom whose mind is just... Uh, filled with the understanding of the presence of Ishvara. In the difficulty, one sees Ishvara. In the, in the pain, in the sorrow, one sees. One has the darshan of Bhagavan. That is what is remaining to be seen. That is what is to be seen. That is what is meant to be seen. That is what is called a devotee. The one who Ishvarizes everything. Yes, it is a word. <laughs> and and in that what does it entail that brings us to chapter 10 very delightful there chapter 10 is a legal document okay where Ishvara is taking back the intellectual property rights if you have a good voice and you say, oh, I sing very well. Uh -uh. 
that is the noise made by Ishwara. It's not you. Your voice is the presence of me. Anything that you do well and goes through the whole list. Among all the Vedas, I'm this Veda that is very pleasant to chant and hear. I'm the Sama Veda. Among the mountains, I'm the Himalaya. Everything is, that is the best, that is me. And if you think of yourself as a patient person, patience is my, my presence. My presence in you as patience. My presence in you as courage. My presence in you as memory. My presence in you as the ability to forget. It's all me. There is you. There is no you. It's all me. It is one way to have this oneness. He exhausts everything in chapter 10. All the possibilities, all the things that are not you, that are me. All the intellectual copyrights uh, are re reclaimed. Whatever glory is there in the world anywhere, know that to be my presence alone. Arjuna is getting restless. <laughs> Shifting. <laughs> Not happy so far, but I want to have darshan. I want to have darshan of what you have said. The whole thing I want to have. I want to not be Ishvara. I want to see Ishvara. <laughs> and this is the argument a lot of dualists. People who are interested in fighting duels. Okay, That's a dualist. <laughs> That's what they say. Do you want to taste the sugar or do you want to be the sugar? It's a stupid argument, really. We're not saying God is sugar. <laughs> you want to taste the sugar or you want to be the sugar? Uh, I think I want to taste the sugar. Okay. Permanent duality. You're not tasting the sugar. The sugar is also going to melt in your mouth and then you'll have a craving, then you'll have a high, then you'll have a low. You have a God high and a God low. And that which goes up and down is not is not moksha. That's not the freedom from striving. And so it's a very silly argument. But here, this is the, what it is. You, Arjuna is wonderful because he demonstrates the human desire to objectify that which cannot be objectified. And the Lord doesn't argue with him. Lord Krishna says, all right, if you want this, I can show you this, fine. Let me give you a pair of Google glasses. So that, you know, because you can't see this is 4D, 5D. How can you see this? Are you sure you want to see the whole thing? Yes, I want to objectify. I want to, I want to sit and have popcorn. I've just made a fresh batch. I want to be entertained. <laughs> Within three minutes, he's not entertained. He's frightened out of his wits. Why? Because he, he does not include himself in the show. He's separated from the show. That's why for us Vedantins, 
11th chapter is not that important because it just uh, uh, reiterates the human flailing, bailing, flailing. One intended here the human flailing to, to objectify that which is beyond objectification and the pain and sorrow that uh, it ensues, that it, it engenders. So Arjuna thinks, oh, popcorn is ready. And I'm going to just look at this. I'm going to look around. It's like the argument made by the astrophysicists who surmise, who have inferred that the, uh, what is that called? The galaxy next to the Milky Way, our galaxy. It's, it's much bigger. It's called Andromeda. Andromeda is coming towards the Milky Way. Don't worry, it'll happen a few million years from now. A few hundred million years from now, not to worry. And when two galaxies combine, then there's only one outcome. The black holes fuse together and then the bigger galaxy, Swaha, <laughs> swallows up the smaller galaxy. Out of Milky Way and Andromeda, which is bigger? Andromeda. So then the astrophysicists say, oh, this will be a lovely show to watch. <laughs> Depending on where you're sitting, you fall into the event never to come out again in a time warp, literally. And if you're too close to the edge, then the flailing arms of the galaxy may throw you off. <laughs> what kind of a surmising is this? What kind of a, you know, what kind of a kind empty rhetoric is this? The same thing Arjuna wanted to have is, let me sit and eat popcorn and enjoy the show. And he saw the deep, dark secrets of the universe and all the villainous people that surrounded him. Everybody's name starts with Du. Dushasana, Duryodhana, Dushasana. Du means bad news, badly behaved. Idiotic, moronic people that surrounded him and very crafty, very, very uh, unrighteous, non-righteous people. He saw all of them being hoovered into the mouth of this huge being, frightening to look at. This Krishna turned into this huge being, the punisher of the ones not following dharma. And into his fiery mouth, they were as though delivering themselves. And in a bid to save themselves, some of them were hanging from the teeth, holding on to his teeth as though Bhagavan had not lost. <laughs> Picking this up, look at the 11th chapter. <laughs> and then Arjuna hears a knocking sound and he says, Oh my god, what is this? Now I'm very frightened. Oh, it's only my own knees. Okay. He's scared out of his wits. And then he says, Wait, wait, wait. I want this show to stop. And before that, I'm really sorry if I've done anything wrong. 
I didn't see you as this creature, this embodiment of everything. I saw you as my Krishna, my uncle, my friend, my mentor. I played with you. I ate with you. We went and tricked a few other people together. We stole mangoes off of other people's trees. We did all these things together. Maybe that was wrong. And then when we were eating together, I ate a few laddus from your plate. Laddus ball of calories. I ate a few laddus from your plate. And if I have erred, don't make me go do it. Do go. Don't don't hoover me, please. And then I have one more request. Can you come back to that wonderful form? <laughs> Blazing to see yellow clothes, peacock feather. <laughs> Pleasing to look at. And Krishna is not impressed. Krishna says, make up your mind. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll come back to myself. Arjuna takes the coffee break. Much needed coffee. <laughs> Perhaps a bathroom break also. <laughs> then he has the nagging question. Somebody was asking me why people ask the same questions. We are all bhaktas of Arjuna. That's why. He keeps asking the same question. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Oh, so you have form and you are also formless. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> that brings me to a question. Again, a very couched question. What is your question? Question is, who is more exalted? The devotees who relate to you as formless or the devotees who worship you with forms? How to be this devotee? Who is, what is the culmination of devotion that comprises chapter 12? And here, the, the Lord says, I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> you are again going back to that question on sannyasa because the idea is that renunciants and monks relate to the formless and the rest of the people relate to the one with forms. I'm not falling for it, he says. <laughs> and he says that this is the yoga of devotion. Yoga of devotion means how to, how to be this devoted. What should I do for devotion? He says the best form of devotion is knowledge. If you can't have knowledge, if you're not ready for it, do karma yoga. If you're not ready for karma yoga, at least sit in quietly in one place and be uh, and meditate. If you are not ready to meditate, sing some bhajans. If you don't know how to sing, chant. If you don't know how to chant, speak to me after class. <laughs> <laughs> that is the 12th chapter. And then the last six verses of the 12th chapter are a very beautiful expose of the one who is who, who has understood this through devotion. 
devotion culminates into knowledge a devotion that does not culminate into self knowledge is not devotion at all devotion is to equip one to be able to study otherwise what is the use it's like wearing an expensive sari and sitting at home why have you worn this <laughs> just like that you're going out no you're expecting guests no then why are you wearing this just like that nobody does that devotion dresses you to go out and gain the knowledge go out means in search of a teacher as a pursuit and last from verses 14 to 20 in chapter 12 we have a beautiful exposition of the one for whom the devotion has culminated into uh, knowledge yona dveshti na kankshati the one who does neither neither has any expectation nor does the person hate anything no dislikes no likes very very beautiful how this person is no jealousy no fears and from whom other people do not fear people think if oh sanyasi means everybody should be afraid that's not a sanyasi the sanyasi is the one who gives the gift of no fear abhaya that is the only vow we in our tradition we don't take the vow of poverty and all these things that's why there are so many rich sanyasis <laughs> there are many ashrams <laughs> very things they may own many things but they don't possess that's the idea we don't have this vow of poverty and we we don't have many vows in, in the buddhist tradition i believe they take many vows we have only one vow may no one and nothing be afraid of me so that's the one abhaya dana the 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 donation of fearlessness is given and you declare to the elements that you have decided to drop out of society so you are not a source of competition for anything including food which is why it whatever is you know the which is why everybody has uh, lunch and dinner but sanyasi has bhiksha arms that is the idea it's not that we have you know fancy terms for everything and we do sometimes you have lunch i have bhiksha and then everybody else dies but the sanyasi has maha samadhi all these things is <laughs> the reason for that so that is the idea you're not even scavenging for food you're not even in competition with dogs or raccoons that are raiding the garbage you live on arms that are freely given and if they are not given you 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 know, just tighten the belt and say you're not supposed to eat today no problem because really if you're meant to eat you will eat you try it you try it one day maybe it won't happen immediately but by the third day you will definitely get something <laughs> try it and let me know how that went so you see the 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 whole flow of chapter 7 to 12 i mean it's just so beautiful what is this ishvara 
what is this it's not something a matter for belief it's a matter for understanding and that understanding cannot come unless it is accompanied may preceded by devotion tbc to be continued <laughs> when same place but not the same time what time ah everybody knows fantastic 3 pm eastern and online they will figure it out
even the borewell people, the people who dig borewell calls the water diviners. <laughs> and they will come and they will say, dig right here. And they will dig and then they will have the, the they will get the water. So just like that, you know how to dig, where to dig, you have to know. And so just like that, grace is there. It is earned through your actions. When the actions are in keeping with dharma, you go with the flow, then that grace is eminent. It emerges in the form. So we talk of four kinds of grace. We talk of Ishwara's grace. God's grace means being in touch with that flow. And there is a certain satisfaction that comes of being, going with the flow. That we say is Ishwara's grace. You feel fulfilled and good things happen because you are doing what you are supposed to do. That is Ishwara's grace. Then we say the grace of the teachings because the teachings have to be as the teachings have to be assimilated. You can have the best teacher in the whole world, like my gurus. One of my gurus' gurus. His name was Swami Tarananda, who I had the pleasure of seeing and serving for some time. And that uh, very, very, very quiet saint, very knowledgeable, so deep. And he had three students, Swamiji, my guru. And then uh, there was two other students. One of them, for one of them, the opening prayer was a lullaby. <laughs> and by the time you think, he was snoring. And the closing prayer was a wake-up call. <laughs> and then they would pick up his bag and then go. Do namaskar. It was very wonderful. Go. And the teacher kept quiet. Did not say anything for 18 months. Then gently said, sunne ka nahi sunne ka baat hai. Something like that. This is not a matter for sleeping. This is a matter for listening. Very gently. But he went away after that. I think he was embarrassed. But he couldn't help it. He was interested. He came day after day after day, overcoming his embarrassment. But somehow sleep would come instead of understanding. So that is, you know, that is a, in, in a way, that, that is the grace. You know, some, some grace is not there. Atma Kripa. That which you can bring to yourself, which is karmic, like you said. Is it karma? Then we say Guru's grace. Guru's grace means the, uh, the teacher is happy. Not that the teacher is sad otherwise, but the teacher is teaching because the teacher is convinced that you are worthy of being a student. That teaching is different from just teaching. So that is Guru's grace. Then we talk of Shastra's grace that the teaching itself has to open its pages and, and that knowledge in the book has to be transformed in my head. It, it has to be owned up and assimilated. So, the, so the, the book itself bestows the grace if you pursue it. It's not really the book, it's you, but it is in the form of words. So those words that are talked about help. So then the, the last one, which I said earlier, is Atma Kripa. You allow yourself 
the ability to pursue this. So even though you, you may have the best guru, but somehow the knowledge doesn't come. Why? Because maybe there is the feeling I don't deserve this. Uh, deep down somewhere. This is, uh, this is not for me because I, I, I can't get it. Everybody else in the room will get it, but not me. That, that lowliness, that underconfidence is the lack of Atmakata. So in terms of devotion, it is something cultivated. Sometimes you fake it till you make it. <laughs> it's cultivated. But Bhagavan is like a super therapist who doesn't complain and who doesn't blame your parents. It's because of them you are like this. <laughs> kind of refreshing. Yeah.